Tallulah Bankhead was an extrovert, uninhibited, outspoken, and often got naked at private parties. She said that she lived for the moment, said Hobie Morrison, 1968, in Variety magazine. Hi, hello, and welcome to the show. Today, I want to talk to you about Tallulah Bankhead. She is hailed as one of the great stage actresses of the 20th century, and she has been the most celebrated actress for more than two decades on Broadway, New York, and in London's West End. She was famous for mainly five things. Her beauty, her natural, intense acting style, her captivating personality full of boundless energy, determination and zest for life, her witty lines, both on and off stage, and her sexual dalliances with both men and women in her overtly sexualized predatory image. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? So let's start with Tallulah Bankhead's upbringing, which is already different from other people's upbringing. So Tallulah Brockman Bankhead was born in 1902 into an influential political family of Democrats. And she had a sister, Eugenia, who was about a year older than her. And sadly, her mother, like Tallulah's mother, died only three weeks after her birth from blood poisoning. And Bankhead was baptized next to her mother's coffin. I mean, this is such a traumatic start to a life. And the father, who was ridden by grief, went to a very deep depression for years. So Eugenia and Tallulah were raised mostly by their paternal grandmother and lived only part of the year with their father. So this left the girls with a feeling of never really belonging anywhere because nothing was really home and different rules applied. So they were never like home. They never felt like safe. Tallulah was a bit overweight in her childhood years, while her sister Eugenia was slim and pretty, and she was always being fussed about constantly. And, and that's why Tallulah started to try to gain attention from her father when they were around him, and also from others. And she did that every which way possible. She cartwheeled around, she recited poems, she threw tantrums, she held her breath until blue in the face. She did it all. And she knew early on that she had a gift for performing and especially mimicking others. And she entertained her classmates with impressions of her teachers. When Tallulah was 10 years old, her father thought that the only way to handle the two girls was by sending them to a convent school in a suburb of New York. Tallulah was very lonely there and she felt like the odd one out. She is quoted as saying she felt like an untouchable, walking in a black veil because of her bad behavior in a line of white-veiled classmates during an end-of-year ceremony. So she was really like cast out at the, as the black sheep, as the one who could not behave, as the one who was always loud, as the one who was like always different. And she felt horrible. She might have done better in school and behaved herself better if she had been involved in more school plays maybe where her natural gifts of acting would have been put to good use because Tallulah was pretty smart and she was capable of learning like poetry and long pages of lines quickly because she had a photographic memory. 
but her behavior was so erratic and unpredictable that she was only ever cast in like minor parts of a play, if at all. And also she looked a bit odd. She was still very plum and she had like childishly shortcut hair and acne, like one of the great joys of the teenage years. So she was rather a loner, not by choice, but by circumstance, because the others did not want to associate with her. They didn't want to be with her. They didn't want to involve her in the school plays or anything. And that's why she lived in her dream world of movie magazines and stage magazines and like with all the great actors and actresses around her room. And it was until Florence McGuire came along. It's a woman Tallulah's father became involved with and that he actually wanted to marry. And Tallulah was very against it. She didn't want to have a stepmother. She didn't want her father to have another person that she has to compete with for his attention. But she learned that there was an advantage to having like an older woman in her close circle because Florence taught her about style and beauty. Florence advised her to let her hair grow out, to go on a diet, to exercise and to follow some beauty treatments. And it worked. Half a year later, Tallulah was about 20 pounds lighter, acne-free, and with her longer locks and big eyes, she was really pretty and lovely to look at. And now, finally, Tallulah could see herself as the movie star, as the stage actress that she longed to be. So that was a success. But how did Tallulah Bankett start her stage and movie career? So Tallulah did something that a lot of girls did back then. She sent a photo to Picture Play magazine because that magazine hosted a contest. A lot of magazines did that back then. And as you remember, Clara Bow did that as well. So with that particular contest, it would be that 12 lucky winners would get a trip to New York and a movie part. Tallulah posed for this photo and to do that she borrowed a hat and a fox stole. And she was so excited she sent off the photograph but she forgot to add her name or her address. So there was a photo of her going to Picture Play magazine and nobody had any idea who that girl was. She would find out by accident that she was one of the winners when a few weeks later the photographs of the winners were printed in Picture Play and above her picture was the question, who is she? So, of course, Tallulah was, like, excited. She wanted to do that. She wanted to go to New York. She wanted to go into the movies. But her family opposed it completely. They didn't want her to go. Especially when Tallulah revealed that she intended to stay in New York City, even after that little role in the movie was finalized and shot. And she was very stubborn. She couldn't understand why they didn't support her. And she threw tantrums and... It was her grandfather who actually said that the family wouldn't get any peace if they didn't let her go. She would, like, be nagging, would throw the tantrums forever. So he said, let her go, let her try this, and maybe we get peace. And they sent her off, but not alone. They sent her, at 15 years old, together with her aunt Louise, to New York City. But the company she had won the competition for went bankrupt. And it was a long wait to get another role that the organizers of the picture play contest had promised her to. So finally, after a long time, the vehicle for her debut was found and she filmed fantastically with her newly emerged cheekbones, her long hooded eyelids and a dewy skin. She was young and she was beautiful and she had that special thing. And you know what she did? 
She tore up the $25 that she earned for the role, which today would be roughly $600, and said that she was determined to make it and earn more. She haunted the trade press and the stage agents for work. And eventually, her family, especially her father, got behind her ambition because she showed so much determination. And after another three months of auditions and being scrutinized daily, she got a role in a stage play. And that was cruel. Because the actresses didn't like to have a very ambitious, very beautiful, very energetic 16-year-old amidst their crowd. And things got even worse when her performance in the play was hailed by a critic, who was actually influenced by the Bankhead family who had pulled some strings. So the other actors didn't talk to her anymore at all for the remainder of the play. After that, she had some minor movie roles and was lauded as a novice of rare intelligence and beauty by the Tribune. And it was around that time that Tallulah's Aunt Louise cut their living costs by moving from their little flat in the theater district to a hotel that she had heard was a great establishment, the Algonquin Hotel. Turns out that the Algonquin was quite the opposite. It was the hotspot of all creatives of New York's theater scene. And when Tallulah wasn't working, she started to hang out the lobby and the entrance hall, always on the lookout for a star, an actor or an actress to start a conversation with and get like immersed into the environment of being a star. And when there was like a party in the hotel, she always tried to either charm or clown her way into it. And it was British actress Estelle Winwood who said she had never seen anyone so pretty. Tallulah was so different and exciting with her extraordinary looks of long-hooded eyes and dewy skin, her southern drawl and her entertaining manners and gifts of performing. What she kept on doing was mimicking others. Instead of classmates and teachers, it were the people she wanted to befriend, the actors and the stars of Broadway. And she actually got invited to a big Condé Nast party on the one condition to perform her imitation of Ethel Barrymore, who was like a goddess. She was part of Hollywood royalty and she was like one of the stars that Tallulah admired. And at the Algonquin, Tallulah got to know Estelle Winwood, who, as we heard earlier, found her to be the prettiest girl ever. She got to know Eva Le Gallienne and Plyth Daly. And these four would be dubbed the four riders of the Algonquin. Estelle Winwood and six-foot-tall actress Jabina Howland also one of the Algonquin residents, actually took it onto themselves to be Tallulah's guardians. They were seeing that Tallulah had something to eat and that she was in bed most nights and that she didn't do anything too dangerous. Because Aunt Louise took off. She didn't want to stay in New York anymore when she learned that Tallulah was starting to smoke and that she started to do like a little bit of drugs and that she was getting involved in like all with all these crazy theater people and you know there were rumors that she was involved with women and Louise couldn't take it anymore and after that another aunt came and also Florence like a new stepmother but they couldn't bear it. They couldn't keep up with Tallulah because she was getting out of hand. So they left her there, hoping that at 17 years old, Tallulah would make her way in New York City. And they said to the hotel manager that he should look out for Tallulah. But he said he could either manage her hotel or he could look after Tallulah. Both would not be possible. So it was all down to Estelle Winwood and Jabina Howland to keep Tallulah in check and make sure that she was all right. And Jabina Howland was also the one that put Tallulah in touch with Rachel Crothers. 
Crothers was a very successful New York playwright who had affairs with women. She was a lesbian. And she often pushed the careers of the women that she was in love with. And Crothers was enarmed with Tallulah. She just loved her. She put her as an understudy to the leading lady of one her place, and she guided her towards professional training in elocution and dance, like getting to know a bit more of a formal acting training going, because up until then, Tallulah just did all things natural. So she got a little bit more training to be a good stage actress. And Tallulah had a breakthrough role in Crothers' play Nice People. It was the perfect role for Tallulah. That not only informed the most successful of her roles, but also her personal image off stage. A little side note, one really has to try to understand the personality of Tallulah Bankhead to get her intensity, I think. So I just want to recap a little bit to paint a picture for you how she was, what she was and why she was so intense and why she was so fascinating to so many people. So she was physically very beautiful, with like very dewy skin, very prominent, beautiful cheekbones, large hooded eyes, a slender frame and a husky voice, which was due to chronic childhood bronchitis and beautiful ash blonde hair. But apart from that, she had something different to offer. She was like full of this energy, like this spark. And she was described to always move and dance and like always be in motion and live for the moment. She was like always in the moment, like 100%. And her determination to make it as a movie or a stage actress was so intense that she channeled all her energy into becoming a personality that the theater managers would want to hire. But she actually was a naturally gifted actress anyways, without proper technique, but full of emotion, raw, but at the same time so witty and funny. And I think from all the descriptions and from all the texts that I've read about her, she must have been absolutely enchanting and captivating. So I think she is just like, she must have been so special. If you have that picture in mind of her, back to the play. So Nice People, that play, had been written by Rachel Crothers, especially for Tallulah Bankhead. And that's why the role fit her like a glove. I'm just going to quote Judith Mackerel here because she put it like so nicely in her book. The role is a beautiful, independent, wise-cracking flirt. And her character's dialogue was studded with careless, colorful slang. Everything was divine, darling, mad and a cat's pajamas. And the character Hallie was fashionably treacherous and fashionably placé about sex. It sounds like awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> and... It was perfect for Tallulah because she had such a deep, throaty voice, as I said, caused by bronchitis, but it was also aggravated by a heavy smoking. She was smoking about 100 cigarettes a day. So she had like this really throaty, deep voice, like really sexy. And that was simply perfect for all the sexual irony and the innuendo that Crothers had written for her. And Tallulah just blew everyone's mind on stage. She was this figure. She made her come to life to such an extent that was just so perfect. And Tallulah used this role as a blueprint for offstage persona, using lines from display, using the character that was in there, which was based on her anyway. So it was just like she was growing into a bigger personality like of herself. 
And she also like borrowed how she would deliver the lines in real life from her stage persona. And she also learned how to behave. So she really, she was growing on stage and off stage at the same time. And additionally, at the Algonquin, in contrast to her upbringing, Talula learned how to cuss and to talk dirty and to use an array of words she earlier had been forbidden to. She learned that provocation got reaction and that she could use sexual innuendos, a little bit of skin, underwear, or burst out in cartwheeling to just grab attention, to, to be different and to be like the center of what was going on. And she sexualized her persona with the help of her onstage persona. And it was when the media published a hint of her affair with Eva Legallienne that she actually introduced herself at parties as a lesbian. So she was really like forthright and, you know, just put it out there and be a bit scandalous. And Tallulah created her self-image as a confident, sexual and sensual woman with witty one-liners in her arsenal, which were informed by her roles and the things that she had overheard by the Algonquin people. She was great at impersonating herself and the person that she wanted to create. And the line between offstage Tallulah and onstage Tallulah, the line blurred. And that attracted her first true fans, the so-called gallery girls, who would stand on the upper gallery, like the cheap seats, night after night. Talula got great reviews and her fan base grew. They cheered and almost destroyed the place because they were shrieking with excitement whenever Talula said something racy or did one of her signature moves. And Talula loved her friends, like truly. And she invited them backstage like the most devoted gallery girls. They were, they were invited backstage and she was impressed by their gifts like flowers and chocolates. And Tallulah made the effort to get to know them and their stories and their love lives and like all their struggles. And she was forming like this great personality and she was becoming someone on Broadway, someone that people looked up to. She was on her way to becoming a star of Broadway. So this is her life in New York. But when being heartbroken by a lover who went to back to London, because it was a London aristocrat, Tallulah was approached, you know, around that time by Charles Cotran, a British producer, who was fascinated by Tallulah and her looks and how she acted. And he wanted her to come to England and act in a play by Gerald du Maurier. Although the role might already be gone, he insisted that Tallulah would be perfect for it because the role was a North Carolina girl who was adapting. So Cotran went back to London and he telegrammed Tallulah in New York that the role indeed was gone. But Tallulah wanted to roll. She wanted England. She wanted to try something new. On the one hand, she, you know, there was a fortune teller who told her to cross the pond and, you know, something everybody in that, you know, area says at one point. But she took it literally like, I have to cross a pond. I have to go the, uh, across the Atlantic. I have to go to Europe. But also because the man that she loved, her lover, who was in England, well, she was going there as well. So not knowing whether she would get the role, which already was gone, she got with the help of a family friend the money to get a ship over to Europe. Her wonderful characteristics of denial and determination shone very brightly in that moment. And if you're more interested in denial and determination, I have another episode on another podcast that I will link to in the show notes 
which is going into more depth why denial and determination are like the perfect ingredients for a wonderful and great and extraordinary life. I want to, you know, it's, she's on her ship now to Europe. But I want to intersect here and tell you a little bit of her love life before we come to that point. So 17-year-old Tallulah, as I said before, was extremely beautiful and very siren-like. And she was described by fellow actress Jane Cowell as the most violently beautiful woman I've ever seen. The crowd at the Algonquin was quite different from what Tallulah had been brought up in. Her father had actually warned her not to drink and not get entangled with men. She did not drink at all and she was not involved with men initially. Instead, she started cocaine and got romantically involved with women. Her famous quip is, my father warned me about men and booze, but he never mentioned a word about women and cocaine. And I think that sums pretty much up her attitude and her wit. So the first lesbian relationship she entered in was with Eva Legallien, and Tallulah was eager to know about lesbian lovemaking, and she truly enjoyed that time. She had several more female lovers afterwards. Some actually were her lovers. Some others are like rumored to have been. Apparently, she was also a lover of Mercedes de Acosta, who is known as the longtime lover of Greta Garbo. And rumor also has it that Bank had dubbed the Acosta Countess Dracula after their affair, which I think is so traumatic and just really paints a nice picture. And Tallulah's first love affair with a man was in 1921 when Tallulah was 19 years old. It was an English aristocrat by the name of Napier George Henry Ellington, who was known in New York for his bisexual tastes and his love of alcohol and debauchery. Tallulah fell for him. Very fast and very hard. But he was cruel. One minute he was attending to her every wish and he was always there and he was very like lovemaking to her and being very nice and kind. But then he vanished for an unknown amount of time and then at some point resurfaced again. And he had her like dangling in the air, like he was pulling the strings and she didn't know what would happen. And for Tallulah, that was a known pattern from her childhood. Her father had been absent, physically and emotionally, at different times and was hardly ever around when she needed him. But one day, Napier, or Naps, how she called him, went back to England very abruptly and he left Tallulah defeated in New York. So Tallulah followed him. As I said before, Cotran told her that there was a role that she, it was already gone, but she would be perfect for it. And it was in England, so she just went there. And when she was in England, in London, what really came to shine was Tallulah's sexual appetite, as well as her love for alcohol and drugs. She started to have varied affairs with men and also with women like Radcliffe Hall, Una Trowbridge, Barbara Buck and singer Florence Mill. But apparently she found men a bit more interesting and had many more encounters with them, resulting in four pregnancies that she got aborted before she was 30 years old. When she arrived in London, off the ship, Tallulah actually had no role. Dumouriez had given it to another actress, just like Cochran had telegrammed. But Tallulah did not take no for an answer. She approached Dumouriez again the next day, this time in a glamorous outfit, her hair let down and accidentally looking exactly like the character Dumouriez had envisioned. He was so impressed with her beauty and her spark and like the character that she just portrayed before him, that he gave the role to Tallulah. 
it was a flapper role again. A young woman with a convincing, energetic personality who eventually got the man in the times of jazz and fun and alcohol. And the play ran successfully for a long time. And Tallulah made British fans again. The gallery girls that shrieked and screamed and turned into a very loyal following. But she also made new friends, like in her personal life. And she created a new circle of influences and creatives around her, just like the Agonkin had in New York. And one of them was Olga Lynn, who was a socially active, very rich woman who invited Tallulah to live rent-free in her large home in London. And she introduced Tallulah to her vast network. And I want to quote writer Percy Colson on Olga to see what that might have done to Tallulah's impact on London. He said to be a friend of Ochi's, which is Olga, is a liberal education in who's who and what's what. So Tallulah, through Olga Lynn, got to know all of London's upper class, all of the everybody who was up and coming, everybody who wanted to be talked about. In that setting, Tallulah developed her offstage persona further. And when she moved out from Olga Linz into a flat of her own, she welcomed guests half naked and she hosted parties from her bathtub. Just like, be scandalous, be always a bit more than people expect, be a bit more of the scandalous flapper person that she impersonated and characterized and did on stage. And of course, she worked on her repertoire of one-liners, like she built on that. And if she had a play, if she heard something, she just rehearsed her offstage persona just as much as she did her onstage. When Cecil Beaton said about her, she had developed her personality to such an extent that she always seems natural, but it is only acting. So he saw through her acting, through her charade. And Tallulah herself would later confess that it was all an act, that she was full of doubt and anxiety underneath. And when Tallulah starred in Fallen Angels, it was her absolute breakthrough role. It was her persona, a flapper, with innuendo, witty lines, sensual behavior. And she did such a good job that her fan base was the most devoted at the time. And the Evening Standard wrote about her, Miss Tallulah Bankhead is on the stage what every woman in a gallery in some degree wishes to be. The dream fulfillment made manifest. And Tallulah was so famous that she could be referred to only by her first name, which admittedly isn't surprising as it is and was an extraordinary name. But she was so famous that her name was turned into a verb. To do a Tallulah or just to Tallulah that tried to capture her provocative exuberance. But her image caught up with her, and Cecil Beaton again noted that she turned into a caricature of herself. She was becoming known for seducing any man. She was becoming the woman she has always pretended to be, scandalous and having sex with anyone, being a man, being a woman, always being witty, always never caring about anything. And then things happened. First, her fans abandoned her when she acted in a challenging play, in a role different from her usual flapper self. It was applauded by the critics, but her gallery girls didn't like it. They wanted to have her flapper Tallulah. And that was not the Tallulah on stage that they wanted to see. They did not back her anymore. They didn't shriek, they didn't clap, they didn't even go to the theater anymore. And... That support system of shrieks and that camaraderie that Tallulah had experienced was vanishing. And 
that had been one of the most valued self-esteem crutches for Tallulah. Second, her lover Napier in England got engaged to another woman. Up until this point, well, they weren't really together. Again, they have seen each other on and off and he vanished again and she never knew what she was, you know, what this was going to be. But then he got engaged. So he was engaged to another aristocrat, someone, you know, who fit the role. She was devastated. Third, as I said before, her sexual predatory image caught the imagination of reporters who started to invent stories the public accepted the truth readily because her image had been so meticulously created by her that it had become a monster of its own. It was just like running away and people believed whatever the journalists wrote. And fourth, Tulula Bankhead's debt piled up <laughs> because she kind of forgot to pay taxes in the 10 years that she lived in London and she led a very extravagant lifestyle. So it was then and there that she got the role of Kitty in Let Us Be Gay, in which Tallulah delivered the line, I've been so gay, so full of, so empty. And that was convincingly herself. With all these things happening in her life, she felt really empty and hopeless. And that's exactly when Walter Wenger came to the scene. He was an independent producer at Paramount Pictures, and he lured Tallulah back to New York with a great offer, which was a lot of money that would cover her debts. It would be back in the US, going away from Napier, going away from the gallery girls that departed her, going away from the debt, going away from everything. So Tallulah went back to the US and she did make some movies in Hollywood, but she found him incredibly boring. She loved the stage, the energy of plays and the touring schedule. So after roughly two years, Tallulah returned to Broadway in a series of productions and she worked continually, even after an emergency hysterectomy due to gonorrhea when she was 31 years old. And apparently she had told the doctor afterwards, don't think this has taught me a lesson. What I didn't know. Tallulah Bankhead actually was the first choice as Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, back when it was planned in black and white. But Tallulah Bankhead didn't film well enough in Technicolor, and that's why Vivian Lee was chosen. But that did actually didn't matter, because Tallulah Bankhead had great successes on Broadway as well as on screen. Between 1939 and 1952, she starred as Regina Giddens in The Little Foxes on Broadway, for which she was awarded Variety Magazine's Best Actress of the Year and got another Variety Award as well as the New York Drama Critics Award for Best Performance for a role as Sabina in The Skin of Our Teeth. And also during that time, Hitchcock cast her in Lifeboat, which brought her another New York Film Critics Circle Award. So she did great work. People loved her. She did great critical work. Like it was not only that the audiences loved her, but also the critics. So Tallulah Bankhead did radio, stage, TV and movies. And she was even booked for the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas for $20,000 a week in 1953, which is roughly $230,000 today per week, which ain't bad. And after that, she was seen on TV and in movies and interviews almost continually up to her death in 1968, when she was only 66 years old. 
And her last appearance on screen was NBC's Tonight Show, in which she helped interview the Beatles. I mean, how awesome is that? Like connecting old and new stars. And it is documented how frail, ailing and old looking she was at only 60 years old. Living life to the fullest with all the vices and drugs and alcohol and partying and smoking more than 100 cigarettes a day really caught up with her. She actually died from pneumonia that was exacerbated by smoking and malnutrition. So yeah, that kind of lifestyle might kill you. Tallulah Bankhead's last words were reportedly codeine, bourbon. And that sums up the picture of the party-hungry, always energetic, funny, live-in-the-moment, larger-than-life persona that Tallulah Bankhead had created. One character on screen that is influenced by Tallulah Bankhead is Cruella de Vil. So her voice and personality most definitely inspired voice actress Betty Lou Gerson, who said so when bringing Cruella de Vil to life, which the studio calls a manic takeoff on famous actress Tallulah Bankhead. And it's not only like the how she sounds, it's like this husky, the husky quality of her voice, but also the 40s glamour that you see on Cruella de Vil and also her reckless driving because Tallulah Bankhead was also known to drive around London in her Bentley at high speed and recklessly see what she wasn't a very good motorist. So that is also something which found its way into Cruella de Vil's personality and character. And another character that I think is influenced by Tallulah Bankhead is the character Tallulah in Firefly Lane. That's a Netflix original and Tallulah, the character, is played by Katherine Heigl. And she is also a media person. She starts out like in a, in a newsroom and she's going to have, have her own afternoon show. But she also has like deep trauma. She also has anxiety, depression. It's all like buried underneath this facade of very confident, very sensual, like sex hungry, men hungry successful woman. So I don't think that name has been chosen just by chance. So I definitely think it's influenced by Tallulah Bankhead. To round it up, I've been talking for a long time. I find Tallulah Bankhead's life story like so fascinating. Like another thing that is very in interesting about her is she was like childhood friends, like best friends with Zelda like the wife of Scott F. Fitzgerald, like one of the most iconic authors who wrote The Great Gatsby. So she's best friends with them. So that really is like such an interesting personality. And I wish I had known her. <laughs> so what are the takeaways from this life? There, there are some I take from that. Other that she is like absolutely mesmerizing and fantastic, I think. Like one of the takeaways is Don't smoke, don't have unprotected sex and eat healthy. Like when I look at her being described at 60 years old, this is not how I want to be at 60 years old, but each to their own. Know who you want to become and create her. I think Tallulah Bankhead is a testimony on how to do this. She did it with such determination. It's just beautiful to see and read. And you have to hone your qualities of determination and denial. Um, they are your best friends. And as I said before, I have another episode on my other podcast and this is dedicated to her and her determination and denial. So have a listen to that. I'll link it in the show notes. 
Number four, immerse yourself in the environment that will help you get where you want to be. And the last one, work through your childhood traumas so they do not catch up with you later in life. Because I do think this is still what was happening with Tallulah Bankhead. You know, if you have some shit underneath, it is going to resurface and surface at, you know, any given time that is inconvenient for you. So you have to work through it. So I hope you learned a lot about Tallulah Bankhead, who I think is one of the most fascinating old Hollywood actresses that I have read about so far. And yeah, let me know what you think. Have the most beautiful week. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.